0: Lord, your word tells us as we just read that the fool says in his heart there is no God. It is the fool, Lord, who rejects the creator God, the one true God, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those, Lord, who reject you, those who reject you as Creator God are foolish, as Paul said in Romans one. They, thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools. And how did they become fools? Because they worship and serve the creation more than the Creator God. They have suppressed unrighteous, rather they suppress righteousness with unrighteousness. By committing unrighteous acts. Well those who say that there is no God. Your word says that they are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. And Lord we see that in our nation. Those who have rejected you. Those who reject you as God and creator. They are corrupt. They act wickedly. They act out their wickedness in the culture. They do abominable things, things that are detestable in your eyes. But, Lord, all of us stand guilty before you. Because your word tells us there's none who does good. You look down on the children of men from heaven to see if there are any who understand and who seek after you, Lord. But all men have turned aside. Together we have all become corrupt. There's none who does good. No, not one. And Paul echoes this. In Romans the third chapter. Lord none of us are good in and of ourselves. Even our righteous acts are tainted with sin. If they're not done. In Christ and being as the righteousness of Christ. For those who have turned away from you. Those who have turned aside from you. They have become corrupt. They have no knowledge of you. They have no care for you. And Lord, those are the ones that my heart thinks about this morning. I think about those in our families. All of us have family members. Who have turned aside. Who have turned away from you. Whose affections are not for you. Whose affections are not for your church. But Lord, they can't have affections for the church if they don't have affections for you. Lord, they can't care for the horizontal things, the matters of this world without first having the vertical taken care of, and that is their relationship with you. Lord, many times even I myself consume can assume that People just know how to do right and know how to be right. But Lord, that is far from true. Your word tells us there's none who does good, no, not one that they have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. Lord, those who are unbelievers, those who do not have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are corrupt. They have no affections for you, they have no affections for the church, they have no affections for the saints, the gathering of the saints. They can't muster it up in their hearts no matter how hard they try. And Lord, that's who I'm thinking of and praying for this morning. Our loved ones whose cold hearts have grown colder. And Lord, that is just your biblical truth. Lord, until our relationship with you is right, Until we have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior and are at peace with you through reconciliation through Christ where you are pleased with us. Until Lord, we can rightly call you our Father. To those who believe in you by faith, you are our Father. Lord, until we rightly can look up to you and call you our Father. Nothing on this earth matters. No 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 things on this earth matter. We can't have a relationship with your church if we don't have a relationship with you. A saving relationship. A saving faith in you. Lord, we pray this morning for our unbelieving family members. Our unbelieving children and grandchildren and 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 parents and uncles and aunties and cousins and, and, and just family members, Lord, co workers, friends. We pray for them this morning, Lord, because they have said in their heart, There's no God. They're fools. Because if they say that there's a God, they will worship the one true God. That's what Paul tells us in Romans 1. We can't say that there's a God and don't worship that God because if we say that there is a God, then we must acknowledge who that God is and what He came to do. Many people make a mental assent or a a, a, a uh, they, they they say it off their lips, but they don't believe it in their hearts. Lord, you said to Judah in the book of Isaiah as you were prophesying against them, as you were bringing judgment upon them. You said they worship you with their mouth and they honor you with their lips, but their hearts are far away from you, Lord. It is the heart that matters, not not what we say with our mouth, not what we think in our minds. The fool doesn't have to say out loud that there's no God. The the Bible says he says it in his heart. They don't have to say it. They live it. They live as if there's no God. They, They live as if there's no creator. They live as if there's a God who they won't have to give an account to at the end of their life. They say it in their hearts and they live that way. They live assuming that when they stand before you. They can just shuck and jive their way into the pearly gates. But Lord, that is not true. They are corrupt. They do abominable things. Lord, these words may seem harsh, but they're true. It doesn't change the fact that they're true. We have family members who are not saved. We have loved ones, we have friends who are not saved. They say in their heart there is no God. They live as if they don't have to give an account one day. And Lord, we pray for their souls, we pray for their salvation. We pray that they turn to you and be saved. They are in great terror Lord, you are with the generation of the righteous. You are with us who have confessed faith in you because of your saving grace. And Lord, my prayer also this morning that you encourage the faithful. And Lord, give us the gospel boldness to proclaim your truth to our unbelieving family members, our unbelieving friends, our unbelieving co-workers that there is a God and that they will have to stand before him and give an account for the deeds that they have done in the flesh they will have to give an account as to why they rejected their salvation that has been freely paid for we freely purchased by the blood of Christ it's free for us but it costs him everything help us to do that in love Lord and Father also pray for our other churches our other sister churches they have family members dealing with the same thing in their churches also. Some even show up in church every Sunday morning thinking that somehow through those works of coming to church that they will gain some type of favor with God. But Lord, we know that's not the case because they still say in their hearts that there's no God. Lord, I pray this morning as I preach this message from Ephesians, as we look at what you are doing in your church through Paul's prayer, that you strengthen us, that you encourage us, that you lift us up as a church family here at TLC. Remember our members who are not here this morning who are watching live. And Lord, strengthen me and encourage me. I need pastoral encouragement this morning. As I preach this text. And Lord send your spirit to illuminate. The truths. Into this text. That we will see this morning. Lord bless us and strengthen us. And encourage us through your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Sometimes the, the, the plight of. Unbelievers weigh on my. Harden. Sure, we're on all of our hearts because um, you know, we know what can happen when people uh, are not in Christ and their hearts begin to harden. It start when they're old. It begins when they're young. Those who's, who are older and their hearts have hardened, they were at one time younger. And that's when that hardening starts. We can't take those things for granted. I, uh, I learned this. You know, many times we can, we, we make assumptions. And I can understand the spirit behind assumptions, but uh, we can make assumptions, especially about younger people. Oh, they'll come around. Can't always assume that that's assuming grace um we can't just assume that young people are going gonna to come around because that doesn't always happen as i said those who are sixty, seven, eighty 80 years old whose hearts are hardened guess what they were teenagers at one time we can't assume that people in their 20s or 30s or 40s or whatever or 50s are going to you know, get it. We can't we can't make those. That's very dangerous. You're assuming grace, and uh, that puts them in a spot where they feel comfortable in their sin and say, you know, I'll get it together one day. It's not up to you. <laughs> you know, we don't save ourselves. We we're, we're not out of control of that. So we have to be very careful when we when we. You know, I understand the sentiment behind those things, but we can't assume grace. We can't assume that people are just going to get it because, but for the grace of God, there go, there go I. If God didn't save me at age 19, I don't know where I would be. I know I wouldn't be where I am right now. So I just want to give that encouragement to us and also just a little uh, biblical guidance to just don't assume. Pray. Pray for hearts to be changed. Pray for God to save. Don't just assume that people are going to be saved because that's uh, that's not a guarantee at all. Amen. This morning we're gonna look at part two of this chapter uh, message of the revelation of the church as we go through uh, Ephesians, the third chapter. Last week we looked at the first seven verses, and the fact that the mystery of the gospel was revealed to Paul, and we the mystery was that Jews and Gentiles, as he said here. Uh, in verse 6 that Gentiles and Jews are fellow heirs they're members of the same body that was the mystery that was revealed that both Jews and Gentiles are in the same body that we're all part of one church that there are no two churches as we talked about we went into the whole ethnic thing you know there's no black church there's no white evangelical church all those things we, we talked about all that last week that we're all one in Christ those of us who are believers So, this we're going to look at the second part of this, and our main focus is going to be that prayer beginning at verse 14, but we're going to begin at verse 8 here, reading or verse 7. Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And then we're going to begin at verse 8 here. which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you According to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We're going to deal with verses 20 and 21 next week, that doxology. So Paul begins this by showing humility in verse 8. He says to me, he says he is less than the least of all the saints. And I talked about this last week, you know, Paul being an apostle, how humble he was and how these self-proclaimed apostles show no humility at all. And if they do show humility, it's false humility. They, they try to make themselves appear To be humble when they're actually not. So Paul here begins by saying he is the last of the least apostles and this grace was given. What grace? To reveal the mystery that we talked about in verses 1 through 7. You see, he was a minister, verse 7, according to the gift of God's grace which was given to him by the working of his power. So this grace was given to Paul. Paul didn't take it upon himself. And we went back to the book of Acts to see where Paul first got this call in Acts the ninth chapter on the road to Damascus. And then we looked at when he went to Jerusalem in Acts 21 and 22 where the riot was caused because he brought a Gentile into uh, uh, the temple and Paul said at that moment that he was called to be a minister to the Gentiles so again he's reiterating that he says he is the less, he is, he's less than the least of all the saints Paul was marveling at the grace that was given to him by God he was marveling at the grace that was given to him to preach about this mystery Paul's calling was all a calling of grace remember this same Paul persecuted the church of God when he was called on the road to Damascus he was on his way to persecuting Christians he was there when Stephen the first Christian martyr was stoned in Acts the seventh chapter Paul was there giving approval to his stoning he even said so Himself when he gave his his testimony. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He talked about this in the book of Galatians. So, if anyone knew about the grace of God, it was Paul. Because this same Paul, God had called to minister the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul was humbled. He was thankful for his office of uh, an apostle. He was a full vessel of thanks to God. This is how gospel humility should look. To these self-proclaimed apostles and bishops in our day. They don't have this kind of humility. I've been around a lot of them. I know a lot of them. They're not humble men. They're very prideful. They want everyone, as I said last week, to address them by their, quote, title. They have no humility. They're not appreciative for the grace that God has given them to be ministers of the gospel. Rather, they want people to appreciate them and glory them and praise them and exalt them. Paul is showing his humility. Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, Preacher ought to grow in grace, for their very calling places them at a great advantage, since they are bound to search the scriptures and to be much in prayer. It is a choice mercy to be permitted to preach the gospel. I wish some of you would be ambitious of it, for earnest preachers are wanted. He was talking about this in his day in the 1800s. Paul uh, Spurgeon was talking about those who were earnest about being preachers. That means they were very serious about the call to be preachers, that they were more needed than all the false preachers of his day, and the same is needed today. So Paul says, The least, less of the least of the apostles. He said, This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles. Preach means to proclaim. So to proclaim the good news, to proclaim. The gospel among the Gentiles. And what was he to proclaim? The unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ are found in the scriptures. He also talked about the riches of Christ that we have in the first chapter of this book. That we are blessed, that we are accepted in the beloved that we are adopted by God as sons when he saves us, that we become part of God's family. We can't fathom, we can't comprehend uh, that with our human minds, how important that is to be part of the family of God. That we are one with every single Christian on this earth. That we're all one, that we're all part of one family. all of us are the riches of Christ are unsearchable unsearchable paul tried as much as he could to figure out the greatness of god's grace he thought it was more like a lake but it was more like an ocean it was immeasurable god's riches are unsearchable we will never know them completely we would never know the, 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 the riches of being one with God and being one with Christ and, and being in the family of God. We would never be able to search the depths. I compare it to a lake and ocean. Lakes, you can search the depths of lakes, even the deepest lakes. I think the deepest lake in Alabama is Smith Lake. It's over 800 feet deep. That's nothing compared to the deepest part of the ocean, the Mariana's Trench, which is over 36,000 feet deep over in the Pacific Ocean. That's seven plus miles below sea level. And the ocean is so vast. I, I, I tell people this all the time when they were talking about the, the submersible that went down and imploded. If you've ever been in the ocean before, like you know, I was in the Navy, I was on aircraft carrier, so I, I've been out to the ocean. If you've ever been in the ocean before, you realize how small you are. The ocean is big. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, you can't comprehend how big the ocean is. That's how big it is. Forget not seeing one side to the other. I mean, <laughs> the ocean is, is, is huge. It is vast. That's how unsearchable the riches of Christ are. Do you know only 25% of the ocean on this earth has been mapped Like they know what's down in it. Only 25% of the ocean has been mapped. That's how big the oceans are. If you look on the map, look how huge the Pacific Ocean is. If you could take a flight from Los Angeles to Australia, that's a 13, 14-hour flight. And you're going backwards in time because you're you're going back in time and you're crossing the international date line. So you're going to land a day ahead. And so many hours behind or ahead, however you look at it. Like Japan is 15 hours from us. It's already Monday in Japan. Almost Monday, yes, almost Monday. It's almost, actually, it is Monday in Japan already. That's how vast the earth is. There are parts of the earth that haven't been searched and traversed yet. So the riches of God don't even compare to that. So Paul was tasked with preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ, although he would never plumb the depths of it. He says, And to make all see what is the fellowship of this mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So God always knew this mystery. It was hidden, and then it was finally revealed after the finished work of Christ on the cross. So God always knew what the mystery was because he's God. He created all things. So of course he would know. But yet this great God. Through his act of grace revealed this mystery. To the apostle Paul. Everything that God does. God does for us. And for his glory. God never does anything to us, his children. He does things for us. We have to understand that. When God revealed this mystery to Paul, he revealed it for us. So that we can see the plans that God had for his church. And in the case of the Gentile audience, the plans that God had for Gentiles to bring them into faith in, uh, in his son, Jesus Christ. Before that, as I said last week, it had been prophesied, but it hadn't been totally revealed until he revealed it to the Apostle Paul. And that was great for us. Why? Because we're Gentiles. We're non-Jews. So God had in his plan, and what this shows us is that God already had in his plan to bring Gentiles to faith in Christ. This, 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 this wasn't something that just happened at the spur of the moment. No, God already had this in mind. And he continues here, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The manifold wisdom of God, the manifold means many or overflowing, So the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. God is, is a, first of all, God is a God of infinite wisdom and infinite glory. There's no end to God's wisdom or to his glory. But God wants us to know him. To know his great and manifold wisdom. Why do you think God gave us his word? to know him where can the wisdom of God be found in his word why who wrote the Bible God God spoke to inspired 44 men to write his word this is God's word this is the word of God this word of God contains God's wisdom you want to be wise like God read God's word this is how God reveals it he reveals it through his word the manifold wisdom of God and God is not selfish God is not self glorifying in the way that we think God does this thing he revealed this wisdom for the glory of his creatures his creation because the glory of the creation is directly related to the glory of the creator remember we're image bearers of God we're made in God's image we are to mirror and image God the glory of man should always point to the glory of God but we don't always do that that's why when Paul says Romans uh, 3 and 23 for all have sinned and done what Falling short of what? The glory of God. When we sin, we fail to glorify God in what we do. We fail to bring glory to God. So what we do reflects on God's glory. That's why God revealed his wisdom to us. It must be made known. It must be made known. So Paul was tasked with letting us know this. And it's also made known, as he says, by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, what does this mean? (laughs) Now, God does want to reveal this wisdom to the church. But. This is what one commentator said. In the big picture, God doesn't use the angels to reveal his wisdom to the saints. But he does use the saints to reveal his wisdom to the angelic beings, both faithful and fallen angels. He continues, this reminds us that we are called for something far greater than our own individual salvation and sanctification. We're called to be the means by which God teaches the university lesson, a beautiful lesson. So it's not that we're taught by angels, but we are teaching those angelic beings. That's why he says known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Because we are surrounded by invisible spiritual beings and they look intently upon us. They don't worship us and guess what? We don't worship them. We don't worship angels. So Paul is saying that the wisdom that God has given us is going to teach the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That's how important, that's how rich God's wisdom is. Isn't that something? That's how rich it is. Christianity, and we have to understand this as we look at this, Christianity is a cosmic religion. And what I mean by that is, okay, We are brothers and sisters in Christ with all other believers in the world, although we're not physically with them. When we think about cosmic, we think about cosmology, we think about uh, the world. We're connected cosmically with other believers, though we're not physically with them. We are with them cosmically. So that's what makes it even more important. So in that sense, Christmas, I mean, I'm I say Christmas. Uh, cos, cosmically, we are one with other believers. In the universe, universal. Just think about the word universal. You think about cosmically. Universally, we're united with all believers. I always say it. If a Christian comes in here visiting from Nigeria, if they say they're believing in Christ, guess what? We receive them as a brother or sister in Christ. Why? Because universally they are one with us and we're one with them. We don't treat them as a stranger, we treat them as a brother or a sister, whoever it may be, male or female. That's how biblical cosmology looks. And that's how we ought to look at the church. So Paul is saying here. He says according to the eternal purpose. Which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness with confidence through faith in him. So this mystery that has been revealed. This mystery that has been made known by the church. To the principalities is according to the eternal purpose. Which God accomplished in Christ. So this was done in Christ. Jesus, our Lord. And in Christ we have what? boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Because of this revealed mystery, guess what? We have we have boldness in Christ. So this mystery reveals that God had an eternal purpose. As I said, this was already purposed by God in eternity past. It was already purposed in Jesus. In the fullness of time, God will gather together all things in Christ. That's why we seen. turn your eyes upon Jesus. Why? Because all things are centered in Christ. F. F. Bruce, the uh, late theologian, said the church appears to be God's pilot scheme for the reconciled universe of the future. The church is the instrument that will reconcile everyone to God. And this was purpose in Christ. That is the job of the church. To tell people to be reconciled to God I always say it people can't get right with God unless they come to Christ and be saved that is the message of the church that's what we do this was all accomplished through Christ through faith in him because of faith in Christ what do we have bonus we have access and we have confidence before God. That's a great promise for the believer, a great assurance. Those who are not saved, guess what? They don't have bonus. They don't have access. They don't have confidence before God. This has nothing to do with national identity or ethnic identity, it has to do with whether you have faith in Christ or not. If you're in Christ, guess what? You have bonus. You can go before God. You don't have to be ashamed. And we have access. We have free access. Christ tore down the dividing wall of hostility between us and God. So that those who believe in him, we have free access to God. Those who don't believe in him, guess what? They don't have the free access. Always say it. People who say, oh, yeah, I talk to God all the time. You probably do. But one, what is he saying to you? He's calling you to repent. He's calling you to turn from your sins. Turn from your wicked ways. And believe. Then I will hear you. That's what he's saying to them. He's calling them all the time to repent. God is a calling God. He is always calling sinners to repentance. He never stops doing that. Never stops doing that. So yeah they don't have the same access that we have. They can't call God father because they don't have faith in him. We have freedom of speech. We have have, have freedom to express ourselves before God without fear or without shame. Because of our faith in him. That is what this mystery shows. That guess what? Gentiles have the same access as Jews do. Because of their faith in Christ. It is faith in Christ that gives us access to God. It's not because of our parents, or our grandparents, or the faith of somebody else. It is because we have faith in him. That we can go to God that we can call out to God and that we can cry out to God and not fear and not have shame not fear judgment that's what Paul is telling this church then he tells them do not lose heart for his tribulations because remember Paul was writing this letter in prison don't lose heart why? because you have access you have boldness You have confidence through him. Through faith in him. Therefore do not. Lose heart. Don't grow weary. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. Though Paul was under arrest. For the sake of the gospel. He asked his readers to not lose heart. Paul was being used in a greater way than he had ever imagined. This Roman imprisonment that Paul was under, he was, he was in prison until he had to go before um, Caesar. He talked about this, uh, we, we see this in Acts 22 and 23. You know, when Paul was being arrested and, and they told him to let him go, Paul said that he was a Roman citizen and a Roman citizen had the right to appeal to Caesar Caesar was the emperor at that time so Paul was in prison in Rome and he was awaiting his trial before Caesar but he still wrote letters to the church so when he said that which is for your glory. Paul was saying his imprisonment was used for their glory, for the glory of the saints, not to benefit him, but to benefit who? Them. So even in prison, Paul wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about the saints. He was thinking about writing and encouraging the saints because he had couriers coming from those different churches to him to let him know what was going on, questions that were being asked, so forth and so on. And in prison, Paul wrote Ephesians. He wrote Colossians. He wrote Philippians. And he wrote Philemon while he was in prison. Those are called his prison letters. His prison epistles. He wrote those letters to the church. While he was in prison waiting. um, To go before Caesar. And he wrote 2 Timothy. Shortly before his uh, death. So even with all that Paul. Paul. We're still concerned about the glory of Christ's church. Not his own glory. Not himself. So in the same way, each of us, we have a place in the service of, of God's eternal plan. We're not to lose heart in the midst of any tribulation that we face. Whatever tribulations we face as believers, we should still be pursuing the glory of Of others glory rather uh, the the glory of others in Christ encouraging the saints you know because our culture is very individualistic you know when we was growing up it was like I always think about number one which is yourself now it's turned to love yourself Self-love. Worship yourself. Self-harm, which is idolatry. There's more of a focus on self than anything. Even when in our sufferings. And it's not to deny that we do suffer. It's not to deny that we have tribulations. But this is what we always have to... I, I have to remind myself of this. We have to always remind ourselves of this. Our tribulations are not for us. they to encourage others. I, I had a, a dear friend of mine, a classmate, um, still good friends. His father, his, I think his, his mom had died. His mom was like a, a second mom or whatever. I remember calling this young man, uh, Walter Thomas. We've been boys since like Washington Public, second grade days, you know, we go way back. I called him to encourage him, and he ended up encouraging me. He was grieving the loss of his mom. And then after my dad died, you know, he called me and, you know, encouraging me and up encouraging him. That is that, that is how we, as Paul says, his his imprisonment is for their glory, even in our suffering, even in our tribulations. We should not get so insulated and and so isolated. That's what that's what people do now. They shut themselves off from the world and they become more miserable. If, if, if they're honest with themselves when, people, when you shut yourself off from, from, from human contact and, and, and human encouragement and you become so self-absorbed it turns to a prison number one and you become more miserable because idols always disappoint their worshipers if you're worshiping yourself you're going to always disappoint yourself why because you're a sinner Idols always disappoint their worshipers. Always let their worshipers down. We take our tribulations. We take our trials. Yes, it doesn't deny that they are real. They are real. They happen to us. But. They happen to us for a greater purpose. Paul, if you look at all of Paul's prison letters. He never wrote about asking the church to pity him. If anything, he has church to pray for him. He wrote to the Colossians, uh, pray for Caesar's household. Paul was ministering the gospel to Caesar's household while he was in prison. He was uh, asking the church to pray for him that they may be saved. Paul never wrote a pity party letter to any of the churches. And if you look at uh Ephesians and, and uh, Colossians and Philippians and Philemon, he never taught, he never asked the church to pity him. Rather, he took that imprisonment as a time, as a means to encourage the church. And that is what we're called to do also. Amen. May the Lord direct our hearts to do that. to work in us that gospel perseverance that in the midst of our tribulations in the midst of our trials in the midst of the hard times that we will have in this life that we are having right now probably that God use those moments, use us to be an encouragement to other people to be a gospel encouragement to other people to encourage the saints Don't become isolated. Don't don't insulate yourself from anyone. That's a sin. Because you're worshiping yourself. You're saying, God can't comfort me. The saints can't comfort me. Only I can comfort myself. Y'all see how sinful that sounds? How prideful that is? that, that, That you are more compassionate to yourself than God is? That you're more of a salve for your soul than God is than the saints are that's what what we're saying when we isolate ourselves like that that we're so holy and we're so righteous that we don't need anyone else that's one of the lies of the world that's what the world tells us always remember the world creates problems and the world tried to solve those same problems by creating more problems So we're looking at this, wrapping this part up of this uh, chapter by encouraging us that all of us have a place in service to God's eternal plan to share the gospel, to encourage the saints, to guard against losing heart in tribulation. What did we read this morning earlier second Thessalonians Paul told the, the Thessalonians what don't grow weary in doing good because God is with us and God will always be with us amen okay next we're going to look at this prayer we may not get through all of it today we'll see so he says for this reason He says, therefore, look at verse 13 again. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he takes a posture of prayer. He bows his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We're going to start right there. So first he says, for this reason, the base of Paul's prayer was his knowledge of God's purpose that we just talked about. And what was that purpose? To bring the gospel to the uh, Gentiles, to reveal that mystery. So Paul is praying according to God's will. Now, Paul prayed in the posture, of bowing his knees. Now, in ancient times, during these biblical times, uh, first century, um, praying on your, on your knees was a symbol of the utmost humility. And it was in contrast to the more normal posture of prayer in that culture, which was uh, standing with hands raised up. So in those days, men, that's why you see uh, um, the psalm says lift up holy hands without r- wrath or doubting. Uh, that's what it's talking about. They pray with their hands up to God like this. That's how they prayed in those days. But Paul took a different posture. Now, I will say this. This is not a prescribed way to pray. It's just a suggestive way. You can't pray standing. You can't pray on your knees. Your prayers are not going to be more effective if you get on your knees. And they're not not going to be less effective if you stand. This humility in prayer comes from our heart. You can have your knees bowed all you want to. But are you humble in prayer? You can stand all you want to. That doesn't mean that your prayers are heartfelt and earnest. So the humility came when Paul considered God's great plan and his place in it. That's where the humility came. And how God's work is unstoppable even while Paul was in prison. Now there are plenty of examples in the Bible of people who prayed on their knees. Solomon prayed on his knees as is uh, found in, I think it's, what's his, first Kings 8 and 54. It speaks of Solomon as king on his knees praying Ezra prayed on his knees as it is uh, found in Ezra 9 and 5 the psalmist calls us to kneel in Psalm 95 and 6 the psalmist calls us to kneel We also see Daniel praying on his knees in Daniel 6 and 10. Stephen, when he was being stoned in Acts, the seventh chapter, he was on his knees praying to God. Peter prayed on his knees in Acts 9 and 40. Of course, Paul prayed on his knees in Acts uh, 20 and 36. Jesus prayed on his knees in the garden in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Luke 22 and 41. But praying on knees is not required, but it is a good way to pray. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, it describes what Paul did. It doesn't, I'm sorry, it describes what Paul did. It doesn't prescribe for us that we must pray on our knees. So Paul says here, he bows his knees. And who is he bowing to? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are we reading the Catechism this morning? Our Father. God is the planner. He's bowing to the Trinitarian God. Now in the Bible, prayer is directly to the Father through the Son. This is how the Trinity works in prayer. Let me explain. We pray to God through Jesus Christ. because Christ is our mediator. Remember, mediator is a go-between. So we pray to God in the name of Jesus or through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. power and direction of the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The Holy Spirit tells us what to pray for. And the Holy Spirit is only going to cause us to pray things that are pleasing to God. Always remember that the Holy Spirit, Jesus said to his disciples in and John, I think 14, 15, that he, the Holy Spirit, he will come upon you and he will teach you all things He will bring all things to remembrance which I have spoken to you. The Holy Spirit only reveals the words of Christ to us. That is one of his roles. He reveals God's truth to us. He teaches us God's truth. So when we pray in the name of Jesus to God, we're praying the words that the Holy Spirit gives us to pray. So that's how the Trinity works again. We pray to God through the Son by the direction and empowering of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says no one can come to the Father except through Him. He is the mediator. He is the one who brings us. He is the one who presents us to God. That's why Christ is our righteousness. When God sees us, He doesn't see our sins. Believers, when God sees believers, He doesn't see our sins see the righteousness of Christ that has been granted to us imputed on us when we're saved Christ applies his righteousness to us so God sees Christ's righteousness not ours don't make that mistake he doesn't see our righteousness because we're not righteous we he sees the righteousness of Christ on us okay We're not righteous. We can't stand righteous before God on our own merit because we're not righteous. We read it. There's none who does good. No, not one. There's none who is righteous. None of us can stand before God in our own righteousness. Who's our representative before God? Jesus Christ. He represents us. We can't represent ourselves before God. It is Christ who is our representative. It is Christ who represented us on the cross. He died in our place as our substitute in our place for our sins it was our sins that put christ on the cross we're the ones who belonged on the cross but instead christ died in our place so that's why he is our mediator he intercedes for us he pleased our righteousness before god so that's why we go to god in the name of christ or through christ By the Holy Spirit's power. So that's why Paul says. I bow my knees to the father of our Lord. Jesus Christ. From whom. The whole family in heaven. And earth. Is named. Paul wasn't talking about. The universal brotherhood of man. Which there's no such thing and I'll get to that here in a second all of God's family is called after his name just like in a family in a biblical family uh, uh, married uh, mother and father the child is named the child takes on whose name the father's last name that's the ideal that doesn't always happen But that's God's ideal. We know that in a fallen world, that doesn't always happen. But that'll make that child less of that person's child. But those of us who are believers, whose name do we take on? We take on God's name. We take on the name of our Father. Those who are not of God, those who are not in Christ... They take on the name of their father who is the devil. Don't you know that Satan has children too? Y'all look confused. Turn to John 8 chapter right quick. Let's get some proof text going on here. John 8. This is Jesus talking to those Pharisees. Verse 39. What was the problem here? So Jesus told them back in verse 31 that the truth will set them free. And we talk about truth. It's talking about the truth of God, how God has revealed himself, not just truth for truth's sake. A lot of people quote that the truth will set you free. But it's not talking about just truth. So. They answered him. These are the Pharisees. They were, they were basically trying to argue with Christ. They were saying that they were of Abraham. But this is what Jesus said. They answered him. Abraham is our father. Well, let me go back. Let's get context here. Let's get verse 31. I want to get a good context here. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. If you abide in my words, you are, my, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So he's talking about those who were his disciples. Those are who are his followers. That's why I say he's not talking about just truth for truth's sake. He's talking to those who are his believers. That's who that context is about. They answered him. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been a slave to anyone. How does it say that you will become free? Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave sin. And commits means those who are habitually sinning. Okay? That's what it means. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. (laughs) Here we go. So Jesus is talking about his father who's God because God's the God of what? Truth. And we're going to see who their God is. And they answer him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you what? The truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We are one father, even God. It's just like people say, well, I talk to God all the time. And that what people say, unbelievers. I talk to God all the time. I go to church occasionally. Well, I go to church, but it's God your Father. Jesus says here. They say it rather. We have one Father, even God. Verse forty-two. Jesus said to them, "If God were your Father, you would love me." Be quiet here. if God were your father you would love me for I came from God and I am here what is Jesus saying you can't accept the father without accepting the son and you can't accept the the son without accepting the father you can't have Christ without God you can't have God without Christ because Christ came from God and Christ is God they were rejecting Christ but yet saying God is their father. You can't do that, just like I said about unbelievers. Yeah, I talk to God, but have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you have not, God is not your God. He is not your father. He's your creator. He created you. He made you in his image. Yes, but he is not your father. This is what Jesus is going to tell them. Why do you not understand what I say? This is verse 43. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You can't stand it. Why can't you stand? This is verse 44. This is going to set them on fire. You are of your father who? The devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Whose desires? The devil's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him, not an ounce of truth in Satan. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Why? Because you're not of the truth. You're of the devil. You believe lies. You don't believe the truth. Which one of you convicts me of sin, Jesus said? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is because you are not of God. Ouch! Everybody can't call God Father. That's why I was talking about the the, the universal brotherhood of man, that all of us, all of humanity, our brothers and sisters, No, we are not. All of us are made in God's image. Yes, all of us bear dignity as image bearers of God. Yes, that's the only thing that we have in common with unbelievers, that we're made in the image of God. That's a good distinction because we treat them with dignity as image bearers of God. But we're not together. We have nothing else in common other than that. Because we don't share a common inheritance. We don't share a common destination. We don't share a common eternity. We don't share a common God. We don't share a common Lord and Savior. We don't share that with them. They can't be our brothers and sisters. Because they are all who? The devil. They can't call God their father. They may say it, they may recite the Lord's Prayer because somebody says it. They may say our Father, but that doesn't mean that He is. Because if they don't believe His truth, and what is His truth? Repent and be saved. Repent and believe the gospel. That is the truth. You turn to God and be saved. If they don't receive that word, they are not of God. They are of their father, the devil. Because what is the lie that the devil says? You don't need God. You don't need to be saved. You're all right just by yourself. You're going to be good. You can turn to God later on in your life after you finish doing everything. That's the lie. Oh, you young. You got time. No, you don't. Now is the time of salvation. None of this is in my notes, but I guess it needed to be said. Now is the time of salvation. Not when you think, not when you assume grace. Not when you get married, not when you graduate from college, not when you graduate from high school, not when you have children. Not because that's what it's going to turn to when I have kids, when I get a house. When the house paid off, when my kids graduate, when they have grandkids. You're going to keep doing that, and your heart is going to keep getting harder and harder and harder and harder. And that will get to a point of no return where God turns you over as a judgment against you. It is scary. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So when Paul here is talking about. He's praying to the father. This is who he's praying to. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. When he's talking about every family on heaven and earth. He's talking about all the believers here on this earth. And the believers in heaven. Guess what? We're one family with all the saints who've already been called to Glory. Isn't that great that we are one with the dead in Christ? When a saint dies in the Lord, we don't we don't cease being their brother and sister in Christ. They just change residences, and we haven't yet. We're, we're we're waiting to move up there. Charles Spurgeon preached a great message one time, and I had a chance to read a little bit of it. It was titled "Saints in Heaven and Earth Are One Family." And this should enrich our hope in heaven that we're one with the saints who are already in heaven. Saints that have been in heaven since the days of old. Guess what? We're still one with them. Unbelievers don't have that. And so that's why when we get to heaven, they're not going to be strangers to us. And we're not going to be strangers to them. They're going to welcome us. Man, when we get to heaven, as soon as we leave this earth, guess what? We're going to be ushered into the presence of Christ with all the saints. What's the song, When We All Get to Heaven? What a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. Guess what? They're singing and shouting right now. They're not waiting on us. They're already doing it. We're just going to come up there and join the party. We're just going to come up there and join the celebration. Why? Because of every family in heaven on earth that is named. We take on the name of our father. Every single person does. The only two families, spiritually, the family of God In the family of the devil. Which family do we want to belong to? Which family are we part of? It goes back to my prayer. I was praying earlier about our unbelieving family members, our unbelieving loved ones, friends, co-workers. Which family do they belong to? We're the unbelievers so we know which family they belong to. They're they're listening to the lies of the liar. They're listening to the lies of their father, the devil. That's who they're listening to. When they hear the truth of God, they hate it. I always remember this. I'm going to say this, I'm going to close. I talked about this before. The gospel is going to have one, one of two effects on a person. And Charles Spurgeon says, "This the same wax sun that melts wax, hardens clay. The same gospel that melts people's hearts to repentance hardens others in their sins when the gospel is preached it's either going to harden a person more in their sins or it's going to melt their hearts to repentance it's uh, only two things there's no, no middle area no gray area we pray I pray that as the gospel is preached that it melts hearts to Repentance. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your message. I didn't get through all of it, but you want us to hear your words this morning. And it all not always according to what we plan or what we think. Lord, looking at this message from Paul, you gave him this grace to minister your grace to the church to work, by the working of your power to preach the unsearchable riches and Lord we know as believers that we won't know all of your riches but Lord we will know some of them but Lord mostly what I'm thinking about is we have unbelieving people that we know that don't have this privilege of being in your body my prayer, Lord, is that you may bring them to a saving faith, because right now they're listening to their father, the devil, who is lying to them. Who is telling them that they don't need you, they don't need salvation, they don't need their souls to be saved, that they're not going to give an account before you. And Lord, we are believers who need encouragement that they are part of the family of God, that they are in your family, that they. Are your children that they hear your truth that they can always call to you as God the Father call on you as God the Father Lord use this message this morning to encourage the faithful and to convict sinners to bring them to a saving faith in you in Christ's name I pray amen